Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 67. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have Pascal Pactor. Pascal is the CEO of Hyperfly, one of the leading gi and apparel companies in the world. Pascal shared his early age entrepreneurial experience as a kid. He talked about the importance of knowing yourself and why you want to become an entrepreneur. And my takeaway from the interview was when he spoke about the struggles of entrepreneurship, which inspired me to title this episode, The Obstacle is the Way which is the name of Ryan Holiday's book, a book that Pascal mentioned during the interview. Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I expand on the three essential concepts of the book, The Obstacle is the Way. Stay tuned right after Jiu-Jitsu Tribe's message. Oos. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free jiu-jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit www.jujitsutribe.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Pascal Pactor. He currently trains Jiu-Jitsu at North Coast Jiu-Jitsu in San Diego. Pascal is a lifelong entrepreneur who, once he had graduated from UCSD, scored a recording contract from the Warner Music. From this, he made a deal with Russell Simmons to launch the clothing brand Fat Farm in Europe. In 2010, Pascal launched Hyperfly, which has become one of the leading gi and apparel companies in the world. Hyperfly is a family-run business with his co-founder, his wife, Kirsten, and his son, Lawrence, and his daughter, Sophia, who also trained jiu-jitsu. Pascal lives by the Hyperfly motto, you can't teach hard. Pascal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Gustavo, for having me here. It really is a, it is a privilege. Um, just like I, I mentioned before, I really feel that you're a special dude, a special guy. And just the brief encounter that we had when I was in Arizona, um, I just felt that there was something uh, special and something more that I just wanted to, to seek out from you. And um, it's, I'm glad that we can continue our conversation. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, that was cool how well we connected. I have a chance to to get to know each other more and like I said yeah continue the conversation now the only difference is being recorded you know and more and people going to listen that's about it we did talk a lot about life entrepreneurship and so forth so yeah we're just gonna record it so how did martial arts show up in your life or more specifically jiu-jitsu did you train anything before jiu-jitsu before I know I played uh, football when I was younger a little bit of basketball but football was my main thing and um, was never good enough to play in college. But I, uh, after uh, 
know, after college, I went out to uh, Germany after I graduated from UCSD. And uh, in, in Germany, I met a lot of different cats, a lot of these guys, a lot of Turkish guys uh, with uh, kickboxing, which was really uh, popular with them. And so a couple of times they you know, asked me to join them in the dojo, but I never really got around to it. So the way that I came to uh, martial arts and jujitsu, um, I think is maybe a little bit different than most people because for me, um, you know, I came to it at first uh, from a business perspective. And um, when it was about uh, 2007, I was with my wife and three kids. We were you know, living in Hamburg, Germany. And uh, we had Lehman Bank, which just went under. This was then the start of the banking crisis and the global depression that we entered into. So right when that happened, I wanted to move the family to San Diego since that's where I went to school at UCSD. And um, I thought if we're gonna go through this global depression for the next couple of years, let's do it at least in the most beautiful place uh, in the world, you know, that being San Diego. So when I got here, um, before, well, before I landed here, I actually was looking at the market and, and what was interesting, what was going on in San Diego, what kind of opportunities were available. And that's when I was first introduced uh, really to Jiu-Jitsu. And so I went to uh, a shop uh, was in PB called uh, OTM and uh, started asking questions and really fell in love with it and uh, looked at the marketplace. I looked at the brands that were currently in there. And uh, I thought that there was some space for more competition. So, uh, you know, that said, when we finally did you know, have the shift the container over and got the kids in school, I, I put them all into jujitsu. And so, uh, kids started training, my wife started training. Um, I was the only one who did not start training. I was 100% focused on, on, on building the business so I could feed the family. That, that was my main focus was just making sure I could put food in my kids' mouths. That's what it was all about. But uh, yeah, so, you know, that was, you know, a sacrifice that I made to my health, you know, for my family, but it was the only way we could do it. You know, there wasn't going to be another way. You know that uh, you start training and then we had an, an issue with an injury, right? Yeah, that's right. So uh, I would say uh, I was training, I was First training under Sanji and then uh, Fabio Santos, and uh, was just about around the corner to get my blue belt from Fabio Santos, and then I had the injury. So uh, I was training on the mat, and a uh, guy twice my size and half my age, and kind of got inverted in a weird spot, and it, it felt really funky. So uh, being the smart guy I am, I, uh, right after training, I went to the gym and uh, I started doing uh, some, uh, hit the weights and that's that's when uh, everything popped. So my C5, my C6, my C7, it just blew up. It was pretty bad. And, um, and the result was permanent nerve damage. Um, and it was also something which brought me really close to, uh, to death. So we had before the surgery, and then the post-surgery, which was even more traumatic because after the surgery, the pain was, was measurable. It was like nothing I've ever experienced in my life. 
And uh, the doctors uh, put me on a lot of painkillers, all the opioids, the uh, first Percocets, then I had liver failure, then they put me on oxycodone. And I was taking like 40, 50 of these things a day. Um, it was uh, it was terror. And my wife and my three kids, they slowly watched, you know, their uh, their husband, you know, their father uh, die. I was dying in front of them. And uh, the the really hard part, and this is really tough for me to talk about, um, but I but I feel like the more that I I speak on speak on it. Uh, the better it, it helps me from, with my healing. And, and I think there's a lot of people out there who, who have maybe gone through the same experience, especially dealing with, uh, you know, this addiction because the opiates of pills, it's a heroin addiction. So I was a junkie. I was no different than a junkie who was shooting up uh, on the street. And um, there was a day when it was one of those dark, dark days. And I found myself uh, at Home Depot and um, going through the aisle, picking out the electric tape, looking for the rubber hose, uh, picked up a bottle of Jack Daniels, and uh, went back to the house, parked my car, and taped up the rubber hose uh, to go into the car, and uh, had the Jack Daniels in my hand. I was about to just take a whole handful of about you know, 100 pills, and uh, just finish it off. It was the only way that I could find a release from the pain. And then, of course, uh, you know, the psychosis that the, uh, the pain pills bring you into. So um, luckily, I was able to get through, get through the other side and uh, make it out alive. Um, I never took pills. I just couldn't do it. I just had these flashbacks of my, my three kids and my wife. And that's what held me back. It was that. And uh, you know, from the from that point on, it's when I had a new perspective on everything. Everything in life, it all changed. Um, my perspective on how how to build a brand, where to take it, how we were going to execute that plan, it, it all it all changed from that experience. And, and that, CBD really helped you, right? Absolutely, it saved my life. And when Fabio Santos saw me. Uh, he said, you know, you got to get yourself from these uh, medical marijuana cards. You got to get help and you know, get, get some uh, high CBD stuff. So I had no idea what CBD was, no idea at all. And uh, I went to, uh, uh, went, went, to the, went to the place the, uh, and picked up uh, a vape pen, which was a very high CBD count, very low THC, so I could at least you know, kind of function, and it got me off the pills. I, I swear on it. You know, so I went from it's incredible, man. It, 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 I, I was shocked because nothing. I I couldn't get off the pills. Nothing was gonna. Nothing was helping. There's nothing I could do. But once I started this program, and uh, I went in the first week from like 40 pills a day to like 30, and then 20 a day down to 10. Um, you know, now I'm clean. And if it wasn't for CBD, if it wasn't for cannabis. Uh, I don't know if I'd really be here. It really uh, you know, saved my life. That's an incredible testimony, man. It really is. And now, and remember, when did, uh, how long ago did you come here to Arizona? Um, Gosh, that was about like, sometime this summer. Something yeah. Like that, I guess in, in was like June? Yeah. Maybe? I don't know, but like, so you got yeah. a chance to train and how have you been able to train? Oh yeah, I'm training now with uh, Jake Mapes. He opened up a school in in Vista, 
it's called North Coast Jiu-Jitsu. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a young battery, uh, just opened it. But he's got a great program. And it's, you know, he's just a great guy, you know. So the academies are always a reflection of, of, of the teacher, the coach, the sensei. And um, the, the way that the, that the students, you know, learn jiu-jitsu and, and how they interpret jiu-jitsu in their life on and off the mat is also a, a, a reflection of your coach. And so when you have the right coach, uh, it, it, can, it can make a huge difference, a huge impact in your life. And so I, I think uh, a lot of the reason that we see jiu-jitsu today uh, becoming so popular is because of the fact that in this world um, that we currently live in, there's so much hate, there's so much fear that's uh, propagated around the world. And it's so, um, it goes against everything that makes us human. You know, this is the reason why soldiers, when they come back from war, they have uh, this uh, PTSD. And the reason they have it is because they are forced to do things that humans just aren't made up to do. We're not, we're not here to kill other people. It goes against, against everything we do. So when we do something which is so unnatural to, to what it constitutes to be a human, it has this psychosis effect on us. And this is where the syndrome comes from. So we have now the world, which I feel it, it, in general is going under PTSD right now. Um, and it's only going to get worse, too, because we, with the global warming, uh, we're going to see even more displacement of people. Millions of people are going to be displaced around the world. This is going to cause even more uh, social inequities around the world, which is going to lead uh, to even more stress uh, within our societies um, and break down, really, the neoliberalism that we have founded after World War II, post-World War II. Um, and so I see that all kind of crumbling. I feel that humanity, I think that People feel it. It's this, this fear, and out of the fear comes this hate. And um, this is w- why, when you train jujitsu and you're on the mat, it, it's a beautiful thing because it's it has nothing to do with hate and everything to do with love and compassion. The compassion you have for the person you're training with, um, to make sure that they that they don't get hurt. You know that they make sure that you don't get hurt. That you feel that you're in a safe environment. And um, it's this mat, I always call it, it's the great equalizer. It's where all of, where, where, where you find the truth because you, there are no lies on the mat. And this is, this mat is, it's a holy ground and where people can find redemption and they can, and they can find something to, to help, you know, them and all of us deal with craziness, which is going on around the world. And, and that's why it's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, amen to that. And that basically answered the, my next question, which was how BJJ relates to life. And you already uh, uh, already answered. Now, I want to talk, as you mentioned, a little bit about the beginning of Hyperfly, but I would like to hear a little bit of your beginning in entrepreneurship. You know, when you started, I know that you're, you've been involved in entrepreneurship for a long time, but I just want to... Uh, I want you to get a little bit of your roots of entrepreneurship and how was the mindset going into business and so forth prior to Hyperfly? Um, yeah, I started really young, I'd have to say. So I started around six or seven years old with my entrepreneurial uh, 
uh, pursuits. And it wasn't, um, it, it was really out of um, uh, the fact that I, that I had to. Really. So um, I, um, you know, had a, a mother, she was a model uh, from Amsterdam. She was uh, living in New York and, um, you know, my father, he uh, really didn't want to be a father and my, my mother, uh, and, and he wasn't going to support us or her. And my mother was being a model, you know, then having you know, a kid, you know, that's the end of your model career. So she couldn't really speak English. And uh, we, uh, I grew up in Harlem. So um, I grew up in Harlem when there wasn't an, an Apple store or a Starbucks on the corner. I grew up on a street, uh, you know, during the during time when New York City was bankrupt. So I lived on a block, the block that I lived on actually, uh, where you had these projects and you had these uh, tenement buildings. And um, when it got, when the, when the city was bankrupt, they couldn't even afford to keep the, the, the crazy people in Bellevue. So what they did is they, they let out what they called the least uh, crazy or the least or people that the least dangerous people. And so I grew up on a block full of people that were from Bellevue and uh, in abject poverty. Um, and so I had to you know find my way. I was the only white kid in the neighborhood. All my friends were black. That's all I knew. Um, and at six years old, I would go in the alleyways with some of my friends. I had a Haitian friend, and uh, he he was crazy. Haitians were always crazy. I loved hanging out with them. Though. But uh, we would go in the alleyways and pick up all of the uh, heroin needles and uh, clean them out, and then sell them back to the junkies for twenty five cents. So you know, other kids had their lemonade stands, and I had you know I was selling heroin needles back to junkies. <laughs> And uh, it's, uh, but I, I don't, I don't regret it. I think that it only empowered me, um, and it gave me a taste of, of of real life. I wish it could have maybe happened a little bit later. I think six and seven. It's a little bit too young for that. Mm-hmm. But it, it is what it is, and, and it's a part of me. Uh, it's where I came from, and that's where uh, uh, my my entrepreneurial you know spirit started. So. And uh, you know, from there, that's that's all I knew. I just knew that it was about a hustle. I I, I was never going to work for anybody. Um, I, you know, I saw how the cats on my block did it. Uh, the left side of the block, you had this uh, guy who was a pimp, but he was also selling night train out of the trunk of his car, and he sold one type of of, of, of wine liquor. Uh, he had, I think, he had night train, and then on the right side of the block, you had a guy. He had a Lincoln, and out of the trunk, he was selling. Uh, Thunderbird, I think, or something like that. And so those guys were kind of like my first role models, too. And so I kind of watched how how they ran their business and and how they worked it. And uh, from them, I just uh, kind of had, that that was my first business education. You know, the stuff they don't teach you at Harvard. But I learned a lot from those two cats. You know, I'm grateful to them. But they were, uh, it was interesting. You know, again, I was like, I was a little white kid you know, out of this whole neighborhood. And uh, I think that's why it was, uh, you know, in a, in a weird kind of way, they, they kind of respected that. But uh, as I got older, I, I, I started, I was bussed into, uh, into a nice white neighborhood on the Upper East Side. And so I had this duality, I had these two lives, one which was in the hood, um, where 
where there were no white people, and then the one where I just had the white the white people. And so this duality, this adjustment, um, gave me perspective. So I, I I grew up on hip hop. That's when I grew up. I was you know African Bombada. You know we had uh, Cool Herc. You know that, that's when it all started with B Boy and graffiti and the whole hip hop culture. You know I I grew up with that. I was born into it. So I would of course you know listen to my uh, listen to my hip hop. But all the white kids there. You know this was before Jay Z and Puffy came around and brought hip hop to the suburbs. Back then. Um, you know, white kids in, in those nice neighborhoods, it wasn't cool to listen to hip hop. And so uh, I took I took a lot of heat there. I got into a lot of fights, you know, where I have to fight like five kids at the same time. And uh, it was tough, it was tough for me. And, uh, but, but again, all of these experiences have led me to where I am today. And I don't regret any of them. Um, so yeah, that, that answering question, that's yeah. And now, and when you went to Europe, um, so you're doing the entrepreneurship thing there too, right? And related, was it related to music? Yeah, so when I graduated UCSD, I got a record contract with uh, Warner Music. And uh, it's not that I have any real musical uh, talent or gifts, because I don't, I'll be the first one to admit that. But growing up in the hood, I learned how to rap. And so I was here, this white guy, and I could rap and I could write you know, text and lyrics and all that. So I kind of got lucky, you know, I was at the right time, the right place. And just when you have this Euro trance in Germany and the techno, and, you know, you didn't really have to be so creative with your with, with your text, you know? I mean, it would suffice that say, you know, jump, jump, jump here, jump there, jump everywhere, mm-hmm. you know? So that would be enough, you know, <laughs> you know for, for Europe at the time, yeah, you because, know, you know, most people couldn't even understand the lyrics anyhow. So I, I did that and it was uh, going okay. And uh, this was before music sharing, downloading, and all that, all that stuff. If you wanted to listen to music, you had to buy it. You had to go to a store, you had to buy it. So you didn't have to be top 10 to make good money. And so I did that for, for a couple of years and I was doing my right tour and Eastern Europe all over. Did a couple of different projects and uh, the real money was in the publishing though. And my publishing was uh, being held by Polygram. And uh, that was based in the UK, and and that's really then what led me to the next chapter of my life. Because when I met my lady, and uh, her name Kirsten, Kirsten Patrick, and um, she, uh, you know, I, I fell in love with her immediately. I knew when when I when I met her and I was with her, I knew that okay, this is the lady that's going to make my dreams come true. And I, and I looked at it, and I did like this comparison. I looked at like what I was doing music and I knew eventually that this thing you know was going to come to an end it was uh, all through it was already rumblings about how music was going to be downloaded free and the whole thing was going to change but it was really funny because my wife said to me she said um, it's either me or the music and you ain't no Bon Jovi so <laughs> after she said that I said you're right I ain't Bon Jovi but uh, we got to figure something out because we got to eat and uh, yeah. And that's when uh, I had to get out of my music contract, and that's uh, my publishing was being held by Polygram, which Russell Finley saw 50%. I'm so part of the thing was like, okay, I'd be released from the contract, and then we would launch Bat Bomb, which is uh, which was Russell Finley's uh, hip hop uh, brand. He was the first one to get into it before all of the hip hop uh, brands had you know started, Shantung, Fubu, Mecca, and 
stroke, uh, let's go to Rome. Uh, he was the first, he was a pioneer. And so we launched Bat Farm in like the first year, uh, launching Bat Farm. We did a trade show and we rode up. Well, I, I'd say my wife did. She wrote like $7 million of business. You know, off, we didn't even have all the samples there. The whole collection just off with like a book. And um, that's that's how I got into this uh, clothing business, this apparel business, this fashion business, whatever you want to call it. And uh, yeah, I did that. And that was great. You know, we raised uh, three kids, three beautiful kids, Sophia, Lawrence, and Luke. And um, that's uh, that's how we were feeding the family. And then comes 2007. Mm-hmm. That's when things, you know, get kind of crazy. And so um, all the banks were going out of business. Uh, the economies around the world were crashing, and it was heavy. We, we and how was how was the mindset starting Hyperfly when when you start going to this route? And mm-hmm. as you mentioned, tough moment all over the world. So how was starting starting to get involved with with the business and dealing with some of the uncertainty or what's going to happen? So how did you deal with it and how was the mindset? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, the mindset, it kind of, I was prepared for this at a young age because I had to deal with some crazy heavy stuff at a young age. So um, that, that's why, you know, the things that happened to me when I was really young actually turned out to be a gift. You know, so that that's actually what prepared me for all of these experiences because if the six-year-old kid can get through that, you know, alive and, and be able to come out, you know, all right, you know, then anything, that, you know, that I would encounter, I knew that there was going to be a way. There's always an angle, there's always a solution, there's always a hustle. You know, even like when those two guys, those two cats I talked about, one with the Lincoln and one with the Caddy, they get arrested. But they always came back and they always had, you know, they always had their hustle. So I always knew, I always felt, okay, life is gonna is gonna come with obstacles, but there's always an angle, there's always a, a way. And a lot of times the obstacles are what is what's gonna bring a lot of opportunities. Yes. And, and that was actually Keenan Cornelius. He uh, very intuitive, very smart, smart guy. And he put me on this book called The Obstacle is the Way. And I can't remember the name of the author, but the title of The Obstacles Away. And this is where, you know, they talk about all of these great successful companies are all birthed out of, you know, really extreme conditions, uh, which created these new opportunities. And from these new opportunities, you have these amazing new companies and success stories. Uh, it goes back from the industrial revolution today to today and the computer and, and all that stuff. So re- really interesting book if you can, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I have I have a few books of him. It's uh, his name is Ryan Holiday. Mm-hmm. He has the Ego is the Enemy, which is a great book too. There's a Daily Stoic, uh, great guy, um, very smart. And there's one quote that I always bring here to the podcast, sharing with people because I feel like I don't know. I'm it's hard to say everyone, but I think most people have a quote that you have in mind that maybe something that's you know stands out for you and you do your best to live in congruence with this you're like man that's a cool quote and mine since since my teenage years the one that i that i do my best to live in congruence is if you're looking for a big opportunity accept a big challenge because every time if you look back in your life pascal all the biggest challenges that you accept in your life man what you know incredible opportunities for growth presented itself 
Now, sometimes people cannot see that because it's an undesired outcome and they, they cannot see as an opportunity. They see like, man, this sucks, this is negative or whatever, but it's just an opportunity. Very often, this opportunity presents itself as, an, as a form of an, as another challenge. And that is up to you to step up if you're going to uh, do it or not. So uh, I've been mentioning here often that over the years, I started to kind of flip something on my mindset. And actually, stoicism helped me a lot with that. I try to, I do my best not to label things positive or negative, uh, more like experiences. Because sometimes I guarantee you that you can look back maybe an uh, undesired outcome that happened with you maybe five years ago, let's say. And when it happened, it sucked. But when you look back right now, you say like, man, that thing was a blessing. You know, um, I'm glad that I went through with this. So was it negative? you know, or positive, nothing. It was just an experience when we start labeling things as positive and negative. So that saves me for so much stress. It's just something happened. It's just happened. This experience just happened. And another quote that I like to use, uh, the fact cannot be changed. Only your response to the fact can be changed. It happened. True. It is what it is. And you cannot change that. So maybe in the future, this, uh, it might be a negative, let's say, outcome right now, uh, undesired outcome that you label in as negative in a few years, maybe in a few months, you'd be like, man, I'm so glad that this happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's always a thing. Fear is, you know, the biggest obstacle. You know, it, 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 it's bigger than the obstacle itself. Yeah. This is what happens to, uh, to a lot of people. And, um, but that's where, you know, my spirituality comes into play. I wouldn't even call it uh, religious. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to, when I see, when I, when I see all of the pain that humanity has gone through, it, it's sometimes hard for me to feel that there's, that there's a God there. You know, why would a God let like a little six-year-old kid like myself have to do that stuff? Why would a a guy like have you know babies ripped you know from their mother's arms and shot in front of the mother, you know these atrocities that we've seen. And so I, I've always had a difficult uh, time uh, with dealing with religion in terms of like you know if there's a god or not that type of religion. But I am very spiritual, and uh, that that's where I feel that how we're all connected as one. All of the, the all people we're all connected with the same fears. Uh, the same strengths, this, and it's it's this connection that we have that that's such a beautiful thing. Again, you know, with the metaphor of jujitsu, how connected we are there. But this is it's the connection between us which is going to save us. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's uh, you know this is the truth, and the truth will always endure. You know? The truth is us. That's that's yeah. what it all comes down to. So, what is some of the most difficult one of your biggest struggles that you've experienced in your career maybe whatever you want to say maybe regarding to maybe hyperfly some of the struggles that you went through and what did you learn from it something that maybe stand out or if not that from maybe a previous uh entrepreneur you venture but something that okay you learn a lesson from it and again it was an undesired outcome 
that probably happened, some struggle, but now uh, you have a different view because you went through this experience. And when we first uh, arrived, you know, it's my wife, and then we said, okay, we're going to start. Uh, it was actually do or die. Uh, that's what we started uh, the brand as, do or die. And that's what it was. I saw a lot of kids do or die. That's all I had ever knew in my whole life. So uh, we did actually some business with do or die, uh, which was more of an urban thing over in Europe. Um, but we, when we came here, we uh, started with do or die, and then we uh, gravitated towards uh, jiu-jitsu. And it was tough. It, was, it wasn't easy. Nobody, you know, nobody made it easy for us. And I knew it wasn't going to be easy. You know, you had other brands uh, out there that were been around for a while, um, and uh, some brands that were, you know, from from Brazil, some some from uh, from the U.S. But um, it was uh, it, it was it was it was a challenge that I faced, and which. You know, I, I sacrificed my health because I would get up at, at four in the morning every day and I was working seven days a week. I was doing the seven days a week because I thought this is the only way it's going to happen. And kids are still in school. My, my wife uh, was uh, taking care of the kids as well. And I got a little bit older. That's when she really came into joy. But um, it was, uh, you know, we were, we were selling some geese. We were doing okay. Uh, we made some friendships with people like Enzo Gracie and Sanji that really, you know, helped us out in the early days. Um, and then we had our, our first gi. It was, um, I wanted to call the gi actually Superfly. And um, I wanted to trademark it. And then when I trademark, I went to apply, I saw that somebody, some dude in Florida owned it. And so then I contacted his lawyers in Florida and I said, I'm really interested to purchase uh, Superfly. And uh, you know, lawyers told me, well, actually, he's in jail for he's in jail for selling weed or something like that. So I kind of gave up on that, and I was just thinking, okay, super fly, super fly, and then it just like kind of hit me. It was like hyperfly, hmm. and I just thought, okay, hyperfly. It's the coolest word in the dictionary. That's uh, just the way that it comes off your tongue. It's like poetry, hyperfly. And uh, when we had that first beat, uh, it was uh, called the hyperfly, but super dots and grand. It was, uh, and after that, that's when everything changed because then people were not referring to us as do or die anymore. They were referring to us as hyperfly. So that's really when hyperfly was born. And uh, we had the You Can't Teach Heart, which is our slogan, our mantra. It's the DNA of our brand. Uh, that was something really uh, intrinsic, very important to me because, you know, just growing up in my experiences, I told you that it's always been about heart. Um, I'd rather I'd rather have heart than talent any day of the week, and um, and so you can't teach heart. Our mantra is is something that's supposed to to help people um, overcome their fears, overcome these obstacles and these struggles and these challenges because we all share them. We all go through them. Even the guys, even those cats that you think are uh, you know they they don't look like they could ever you know be afraid or have any fear. I I. I I, I've read a lot of these fighters, and, I, and, I, and I'll tell you, and I've had my personal experiences with them, and we all are built the same. We all have these same fears. No matter what, if you're a black belt legend, we're all going through it. We're all going through it. So, you know, if you can't teach heart, YCKH, that was, that was part of it. You know, mm -hmm. it all comes down to heart. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, we've been very fortunate, and I feel that, you know, people around the world have really gravitated because our message is true. 
you know, it's it, it, it's the truth, and you know that's and that's that's what it is. And people are looking for something real, they're looking for something tangible, and uh, extension of you know the spiritual religion that I feel. And um, yeah, that's that's yeah. now the crowd that listen to the podcast actually got a pretty good uh, masters crowd, let's say about 30 but of course all kinds of ages but we have a lot of people it's it's tough for me to say but i know that from feedback and i get a lot of people yes we do have a lot of small business owners we do have actually a lot of people in transition people who are working on jobs and careers that they're not happy dude they're not they they don't like what they're doing but they gotta pay their bills they got caught in the, uh, the regular rat race, but they wish they would be doing something else, you know. Yeah. And there's some people that are doing both. There's some people that are doing the side gig entrepreneurship, uh, trying to slowly do the transition. But what maybe suggestion or advice you would give to someone that is coming to the world of entrepreneurship? Maybe you're someone that is still thinking about getting into this or maybe just starting you know not and something that it, when you look at it like man whether you're brand new or an or a seasoned entrepreneur you feel that this maybe suggestion or advice could help based on what you you have seen so far in entrepreneurship um well, well first you have to have and this is something i'm sure that a lot of you guys have spoken about spoken to, is, uh, just you have to be passionate you know, so let's just go over the obvious things. Okay, everybody knows, let's check them off. You have to be very passionate. You have to be very hardworking. You have to be very dedicated. You have to be very disciplined. You know, these are the things um, that we all know uh, in practice. Um, but again, I always go back to the spiritual things. And I think once you've made the decision, okay, th this, is, this is what I want to pursue. This is what I want to do. Uh, you have to then understand, you know, going back to all of those reasons I just mentioned, you know, the why. What is the why? Why do you want to do this? What What is it that you want to do? You want to get rich? You know, what, what's your prerogative? Do you want to, you know, make uh, make make the best product? Uh, what is the reason for you to, to do this? It can't be just to make money because if, if it's only just about making money, you're not going to make money and you're not going to be successful. Um, so it has to be something that you love. Um, and that you're willing to make the sacrifice that others aren't. You know, when your competition is, is working five days a week, you got to work seven days a week. Your competition is working nine to five, you got to work, you know, four to 10 p.m., 4 a.m. until 10 p.m. Those are the sacrifices you got to make. Um, and, you know, this blood, the sweat, the tears, there's no shortcut. There just isn't. Um, but if you can visualize, this is really important. This goes to, to the spiritual side. You have to visualize your success. Um, if you can conceive it, you can achieve it. You know, you are the director of your own movie, the producer, the star, and the scriptwriter. So it's all on you. You make the decision. You you can you can make this movie end up any way you want. You can you write the script. It's all up to you. You you have that control. You have that power. So you know you need to just make time every day. Every day, when you wake up in the morning, uh, you know, I have it, you know, on my mirror, you know, so when I get up in the morning, I brush my teeth. And when I go to sleep, right before I go to sleep, I have, you know, there's my mirror. You know, you have to, you know, keep visualizing your success and, and let the universe speak creatively to you. 
um, it, it, it's, a, it's a partnership that you have with the universe. There's an energy out there. Um, and when you can, can tap into this energy, it's, I don't know if it's an intelligent energy, if it's uh, an, an intelligent form of intelligence, but there is something there. And when you can release your mind and you can uh, visualize, let go, and when you finally make the decision, you know, to, to be your true self, to accept yourself for who you are and to, to grasp that truth and, and to love that truth. Um, when you do that, then you, you're already halfway there. That's, um, you know, that, that's, that's the journey. Um, but you, you have to know yourself. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Matrix and a lot of, you know, a lot of our products will find some some suitable points of, of, of reference from the matrix. So we have like a backpack. It says, you know, don't think you are, know you are, uh, know thyself in Latin, nosce. Uh, these are all parts of, 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 of that's going to breed the success. You have to know who you are. And uh, then again, all those other things I mentioned are part of it, but um, you know, there, this is the difference between knowing the path and, and, and walking it. You know, beginning to believe, you know, your weakness is not your technique. You know, there is no spoon. Um, all references from the Matrix that, uh, that I just love and, you know, hope they do. But uh, this is all part of the process. And if you really want to swim for the fences, if you want to go for it, you want to do it, if you think you, you have it, then you can do it. I'm, I'm telling you, anybody who has a dream, um, no matter what the obstacles are there, you know, because in the beginning, I'll tell you, everybody, you know, in the beginning when we started just as we were dying, no one thought we were going to survive another year. They thought in two years these guys are gone, you know. And uh, it, But when you believe in yourself and you know your path and you know yourself and you know what you want to achieve and your goals, I'm telling you, as I sit here with you today, you can achieve anything. You, you really can. You tap into this energy, this universal energy in, in our world, and, and, it, and it all comes to uh, fruition. I believe in what you said about knowing yourself, especially, I mean, you need to know yourself, period, but in entrepreneurship, especially. Uh, are you familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Gary so, he got a lot of cool concepts. I haven't watched, you know, some of his stuff in a long time, but I did watch for years, uh, listen to some of his audiobooks and stuff. Uh, he's got a lot of good stuff. So he got some concepts that really kept uh, with me. And one, uh, there's one that he talks about the difference of like knowing yourself, because he said some people have entrepreneurial tendencies. Other ones have entrepreneurial DNA. So some people have the tendency, oh, it would be cool to have my business. I have my own hours, but it's not in a DNA. Can you develop that and learn a lot? Absolutely. Uh, you can, I, I think you can develop uh, more. You got to really try super hard and you have to, um, be, like I said, you know, it's in your DNA. At six, seven years old, you're already trying to, to do, you know, to hustle, do something. I was the same age, about five, six, I was already selling stuff, you know, so some people just kind of have the DNA. So 
that sometimes in some business that you see that they don't go through because they have the tendency. They started well, shit start getting tight, and like, oh man, nah, just you know, plan B is just gonna go back to work. It was cool, it was a cool ride, but when you have the DNA, there's not another option. Like, dude, I ain't working for nobody. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even if this business doesn't go through, I'll do something else. I'll try a different business. So I think this is important about knowing yourself. Like, is it a DNA tendency or um, a DNA or the tendency you know, of the entrepreneurship? You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I always say, you know, fuck plan B. There ain't no plan B. You know, when, once we hit the shores, I told this to my kids, you know, and, and to Lawrence, um, who really, he's the future of uh, hyperfly, my son Lawrence. And, uh, you know, people love it. You know, I don't go on Instagram. I tried it, but it's not for me. Uh, but my son, he's he's out there with the with the Instagram. Uh, but back to what I was saying, um, uh, I always uh, told him. I said, you know, when when one when the ships when when our ships landed on the beach, you know, we, 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 I said you have to be prepared to burn those ships down. There's no way back. There's no other plan. We we we're gonna we have to win this battle. <laughs> uh, we have to win this battle. It's not a choice. Um, and, and that's where you have, you're in this position and these are the moments that define you, these do or die moments. They, they, they define who you are. They define your character. They define your heart. Um, and, and to be true to yourself, um, to be true to yourself as a human being, um, because we are so special. There's so much, there's so much that is so special about us as human beings. We have this universe with millions and millions of other galaxies, millions of other universes. And we have this beautiful, beautiful thing in this planet Earth that we have all of these different people, different thoughts, looks, um, but we all share the same oxygen. We all share the same air. We all have the same color of blood running through our veins. And we all share the same dreams for our children. We are all connected. You know, the, the air that I breathe, in my lungs, I exhale that air, and that goes, and then you breathe in that same air into your lungs, into your into your life. Um, and this is what transcends all of us into society, in, in society, and the unlimited possibilities and freedom. There is unlimited potential in every person out there. We, we have so much matching. Yeah. What would you say is the best advice you've ever received? that helped you in any area of your life, something that maybe stood out and you still remember even mentioning people? Um, I have to say Shanzi. And I, I won't say that if there's like one specific thing because there's a lot of times we've shared and he's spoken his mind, he's spoken his heart to me. And he's a very special, special guy. Uh, aside from just being, uh, being the, the fighter that he is, we all know what he saw on the map is legend. It speaks for itself. Uh, you don't have a you know a lot of times that you can you know see a guy like that. So what I, I was when we were first starting out and growing the brand, I was always very tense. I was always you know like I said, I was getting up at like four in the morning. I was working seven days a week. I had my goal. I just was like relentless with it, like a like a pit bull that gets a bone in its mouth. You just won't give it up. I just wouldn't. I wasn't just not going to go down for nobody. And Shanji taught me how to breathe. 
He said, you have to release yourself. You know, you have to let yourself go. And, you know, he, when we went to Abu Dhabi together, and he competed and taught me some of, you know, the breathing techniques and the time we uh, shared with each other. And it really made a big impact. He's, a, he's, a, he's an incredible uh, spiritual, philosophical guy, so much deeper than what people, what people could ever even imagine. And he, you know, told me to release. You know, he said, don't grab and hold these things so tight. You know, you have to uh, release. And, uh, and that, that was, for me personally, that was very, very important. One thing that you mentioned that made me think, especially with, related to the advice, when you mentioned about uh, the breathing, the relaxing, like, hey, man, relax, because sometimes you get so caught up in, like, the speed of everything, like, I got to do this, I got to do that. And I share a few times here, and during an interview, I had a breakthrough uh, years ago, and uh, this concept started to evolve But uh, uh, for some people, for the hardcore listeners who listen to all 65 episodes, uh, maybe resonate for some people, don't, you can practice. But I want uh, not only you, Pascal, but like everyone's listening, just think about, just imagine you being a train. What kind of train would you be? And I saw myself as a bullet train that I'm like, man, I just go fast. However, for the longest time, I've felt that I was a bullet train with an irresponsible conductor. You know what I'm saying? I'm just blasting through, ah, not stopping in station. And whatever station means to you, that means taking time for the family, take time for vacation, take time off for yourself, whatever that is. So I felt that I was never like taking breaks for myself, for my family, or even celebrating victors, victories that we do. It's just like anytime got no time for that. I mean, that's what I'm supposed to do, you know, just keep going. And then I got to a point that I got at peace. I said, you know what? I understand that I'm a bullet train. And then I went through my, my phase that, uh, you know what? I, I'm a bullet train, but I want to be a responsible conductor. That means I'm going to go fast, you know, and that's what I do. However, I will make sure that I stop. I will make sure that I breathe, that I meditate or take care of, or have a vacation or, or with my wife or with my family, having the time for myself. And then the, the vision has started to evolve. And now I'm in a point in my life right now in 2019 at 44 that I feel like I can adapt to whatever speed I want. There's times that, you know what? It's time to regular speed. Let's calm down. No matter what, always a responsible conductor. But this, let's just kind of cruise a little bit. Just pick up, you know, some semen right now at this moment in August of 2019. I picked up some speed again. So I'm back. I'm just getting my speed. I'm excited. You know what I mean? I'm not stressed. I'm excited that I'm going fast again. And I don't know how long it's going to be. But at some point, I'm like, you know what? Let's calm down. So it took me years my 44 years for me to kind of learn how to kind of navigate through what kind of train I am accepting um, how I function and have this balance. So I think this is good for all the workaholics, all my buddies, workaholics out there that I know that, you know, we put a lot, a lot of hours and don't forget that whatever, whatever means that station stop at stations, whatever that means to you, what would you say that is a station for you? Like you being a conductor, a responsible conductor, what would be an example of a, you know, a stop for you? 
Yeah, well, for my train, I always had, you know, this, I always had the three children, you know, that were on my train, my wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was driving this train at times, I could say, uh, pretty recklessly, you know, especially, mm-hmm. you know, with the, with the, when I was a heroin addict, when I was a junkie, um, and being irresponsible as well to, to, to my grandchildren who aren't even born yet. Um, and, you know, this was something, you know, over the summer when I was going through some things and then, you know, I, I connected with you and you gave me a, a sense, a good sense of well-being and, and kept me kind of present in the moment. You know, our talks, you really did help me a lot there, probably more good. than that. Um, and, and I remember we spoke about the training as well. And, um... I would say um, how my training is right now is one where I'm much more. Um, it's a it's a slower ride. Um, it's a but it's a much more stable ride. Nice, consistent, yeah. and it's a consistent. And there's a lot more stops on this. On this nice, ride. and we stay at each at each uh, at each station. We stay a little bit longer just to make sure that everybody can get on and off in a nice, relaxed way, and everybody's happy and it's all good. That's kind of where I see, you know, my yes, beautiful man. That's uh, that's growth. You know what I mean? Uh, that's growth. Maybe you wouldn't be able to have this conversation maybe five years ago. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be able to have this conversation five years ago. You know what I mean? Of like understanding stop into stations and everything. So what? Let's say let's. Let's get back to the beginning of Hyperfly. What advice would you give to the younger Pascal when starting Hyperfly based on what you've lived so far? And say, like, if you could give him, not that you want anything different, right? Because you are where you're at in your life. You have to live everything. But I'm saying, like, based on this, and be like, man, if you have, like, a bud, just watch this here. What that would be? Maybe the speed of the train? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. The speed of the train, uh, for real. Um, I would, I would tell him, I would tell him, don't take shit too personal. You know, mm-hmm. there's, you know, I was doing that. I was holding on shit. You know, for, you know, taking it like so personal to my core. You know, and, and now I look back and I say, what was, what was I tripping on? You know, every it's all good. You know, we have competitors. You know, they do their thing. We're going to do our thing. Just focus on my thing. And you know, whatever. You know, if you have situations or issues that come up with an athlete or you know another brand, you know, you know, cherry picks on, on your on your athletes, or you know, you feel like you know another brand or another person is not doing you right. You know, I used to take that shit so personal and so close to heart. And you, you can't do that because you can't free yourself creatively and mentally. It, it just it, it just slows you down and it brings you nowhere. So I would just you know tell them you gotta chill, you gotta relax. It's all good, you know. And the, the spirit, the human being, we as a spirit, we can never be really free until we are able to forgive. If you can't forgive, you're never going to make progress. You're never going to be free. Um, and that's you know that that's what I would tell. That's what I would tell my younger self. I would just say, you know, chill, chill for a minute, and at least don't have to grab and hold shit so so hard, so tight. You know, and don't and don't take shit too personal. 
Yeah, I have a quote that actually I have a board in front of me with a few things that I have here, but I do have some quotes also. And talking about forgiveness, I wrote it. That's why I have here said forgiveness means letting go of the hope for a better past. So, you know, we just keep like, oh, this and like you want it to be something else. But again, this is the fact, man. This is what happened. It is what it is. And it is uh, amazing what said about not taking personal. There is a book, The Four Agreements, which one of the agreements is don't take things personal. You know, each one is living their own lives and dreams and going over their thing and not necessarily um, maybe they're going to understand you or whatever. They, and that's their thing. You know what I mean? If that's what they're doing, that's their life. And let's move on. And I think every year as I get older, let's say more emotionally mature, I have been improving on that too, the personal side, you know, because otherwise you just keep carrying that unnecessary baggage and res resentment with us that is not going to help in anything, man. It's toxic, toxic. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely toxic. Um, so what is um, a book that you could recommend? Maybe a book at some point that made an impact in your life, different moments, you know, that I know that different moments in your life that you read a book and make an impact. But any book suggestion or audiobook, what you got? Okay, uh I, I got two, two, two books, two books that really, uh, well, the Relentless book by Tim Grover. The, yeah, okay. Um, but before I get into that, I just want to you know, say, like talking back to a younger self of me, um, just one thing I'd like to add is that none of this, none of Hyperfly, none of the, of the success that we've, that we've uh, experienced and, and the growth, none of it would happen without my lady, without my wife, without, without Kirsten, after calling her Kate with all the ethics did. Um, she has held everything on her shoulders, uh, all of the burdens of like just raising a family, raising kids. It's and, a team. Yeah, it's a team. And and also, you know, building, you know, this brand up. She's always been working, you know, with the athletes. Um, and if you speak to a lot of different athletes who would sponsor or who were sponsored from us, what you'll know is that she cares so deeply about them. Um, and this this is something that I love. And what I want to go back and, and tell my younger self is, man, be a better fucking husband. You know, mm -hmm. be a fucking, you know, be more present, you know, be more caring, cook more dinners, clean more, clean, clean the house up more, you know, just, you know, just be a better husband altogether. And this is something that I'm continually working on. This was actually the reason, you know, when I went out, went out to Arizona, you know, and, um, you know, this was, uh, that's, I just wanted to make sure because all this whole brand and, and Hyperfly and all of it, it wouldn't be where it is without her. She's really a core part, core part of the story. And hopefully, you know, one of these days in, in the near future, we'll have, uh, you know, the opportunity to speak with her, you know, personally as well. She's, she's got some. For sure. That's stuff. awesome, man. But uh, back to uh, to the uh, to the books, I would say the uh, the Alchemist, mm -hmm. uh, um, very important. Any you know at, any pro athlete you know out there has probably read it. It's LeBron's favorite book. Any Kobe's favorite book. Um, you know, read that book. Get that book and, and, and read it. Read it twice. Read it three times over. Um, it, it's going to really help you 
get through life and the obstacles and, and what you're searching for. Because I don't want to get into the story and the plot, you know, or, you know, I don't want to tell the ending. But sometimes, you know, everything that you think that you're looking for and you're searching for, it's right there in front of you. It's right there. You, know? you just think that you're chasing that treasure, right? Yeah. That they talk about. Yeah. Chasing this treasure and, you know, and, and the journey of chasing that treasure, you, you need to see that's the crazy thing because it's right in front of us. It's right there. But we have to go on that journey to understand that and discover that. And so it's part of the process. It's a great book, uh, something that you should always uh, you know, have on your shelf. The other one is uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel by Richard uh, Bach. Um, you know, What's the name? Uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Jonathan Livingston Siegel, like the bird. And it's uh, by Richard Bach. It, you know, the book tells the story of Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Siegel was bored with it. You know, the daily squabbles over food, you know, and uh, seized by a, by, a, by a passion for, for flight. He, he pushes himself and learns everything he can about, about flying. Yeah, his increasing unwillingness to uh, inform finally results in the expulsion from the flock of birds. Um, and so he becomes an outcast. Um, and so it, it, it goes into the story of the seagull. And, and how he's always trying to find this higher plane of his existence. Um, in a lot of ways, this is particularly interesting for, for a lot of guys that are training and competing because uh, the athletes are always looking to, to, to improve, to find a better version of themselves. Um, and in, in this book will help them in that process. Uh, to understand that. So Jonathan Livingston Siegel by Richard Bach. It's also Kobe Bryant's uh, favorite book. He's, he attributes, you know, his success uh, to, to this book. So nice. Now we're getting close to the end of the interview. So for people who are listening for the first time and don't know much about the format of the podcast at the end, usually I do my final thoughts, which basically I reflect on some of the things that we talk about and I choose a takeaway, and I investigate a little more. I research, sometimes even read a book just to do a five to 12-minute audio. Uh, that's a time that I have to do some teaching, and I enjoy. And I think everything that I do, in my wife's talk about passion and, and the why, and my why is to inspire, impact, and improve you know, the people's lives, and I use the podcast in this matter for that, to use those interviews to maybe in, inspire people who are entrepreneurs or not, because there's a lot of people who are not entrepreneurs and maybe have even the desire to be one, but they, they just like the content. But I think it's just to impact people's lives in some way. So I do my best at the end to get a short audio from five to 12 minutes, sharing some topic that can, can do that. So, um, what's exciting going on with Hyperfly? So what do you want to share with us? What do you got? Um, yeah, so good stuff, actually. Um, we have uh, an investor coming on board. Uh, he um, used to run a, a billion-dollar hedge fund, and uh, he got out of it, and he just fell in love with UKT Chart and uh, Hyperfly. It really uh, touched him on a personal level, and the guy... Um, was uh, looking to do something more meaningful, and um, 
he is now coming on board. We are going to be moving the headquarters of Active uh, to uh, Los Angeles uh, next year. Uh, we're going to be opening a, a, a really uh, large retail lab uh, where we're going to have uh, uh, mats set up. So it's going to be a, a retail lab uh, where people can go and, 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 and buy, uh, but also get introduced to Jiu-Jitsu. And so I want to create this uh, emotional connection through this you know, experience by having a big retail place, but then with the mats there, and then also having some staff there and designers. And so this is going to be the next story of Hyperfly as we branch out um, of Jiu-Jitsu into other spaces and try to continue to bring that same story um, and uh, those same life lessons you know, behind You Can't Teach Art. And just before we end, I just want to get into uh, You Can't Teach Art real quick. Um, because I think there's some like misunderstanding or maybe it's misconstrued because I've seen this come up a couple of times, you know, where it's been shown to me on social media, you know, that you know, there's some conversations that are going on about, about what is you can't teach hard. Um, and everyone's trying to figure it out. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it true? Is it not true? And, you know, so, so you, of course you have to have hard. Everyone, you know, has hard. Or, you know, you can't teach it. Or you can't teach it. Or, you know, this is a big thing going on. Can actually, there's some coaches that say, "Yeah, you, I actually can teach art." Um, but but here's the deal: with it is everybody is born with heart. Everybody, it's part of our makeup. It's part of our of our soul. Part of our DNA. It, it, it's our heart. Now, it's the journey to find that heart that defines who we are and our character. There are babies that are still unborn. You know that are still incubating in the mother and they already have found heart there are some people you know they find it when they're 13 years old there are some people who who, who find the heart in themselves when they're 90. Um, there are some people who for one reason or another they can never find it um, within themselves but everybody has it and the meaning of life is that journey to find it within yourself and, and 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 to be a better human being and just to love to love one another it's, it's the hardest thing to do in life is, is to love and to be loved um, and yeah that, that's just something I want I wanted to uh, add and, and share with everyone so nice and a nice message Pascal thank you so much for your time I really appreciate it sharing your story sharing very personal things that sometimes people are are afraid to be vulnerable and share some of the the let's say some of the dark sides of the journey but i think it's important to even inspire people who might be going through something like that right now you know what i mean or maybe can click and resonate with you that maybe they have been through some stuff too and I think just keeping that message that these two shall pass, that you know, you you will be able just hang in there, surround yourself with positive people, uh, eliminate the toxic people from your life. And I appreciate it, man, you being so open with us. And meditate. So important. You guys, you gotta everybody has got to meditate once or twice a day. Uh, 20, I, I meditate twice a day. Uh, so when I can't get in twice, I'll do it once. You have to meditate 
could do it 20 minutes without it i would be a mess and it really helps me um, helps me a lot it's going to help everybody who tries it um, but I, I, I can't recommend that enough please people got to meditate every day I, I believe it. I read once saying that hey, if you don't have 10 minutes to meditate, you probably need 20 minutes to meditate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for real. For so you, you got you to gotta, you gotta find the time. And it, uh, but yeah, I agree. And it does help me too. So Pascal, thank you so much, but we keep in touch, okay? Yeah, for sure. For sure. For all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Who's... Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Hyperfly CEO Pascal Pactor. If you're listening just to the final thoughts on Instagram TV at Gustavo Dantas BJJ, Pascal is a lifelong entrepreneur who, after he had graduated from UCSD, scored a recording contract from Warner Music. From this venture, he made a deal with Russell Simmons to launch the clothing brand Fat Farm in Europe. Pascal shared his early age entrepreneurial experiences as a kid. He talked about the importance of knowing yourself and why you want to become an entrepreneur. And my takeaway from the interview was when he spoke about the struggles and he said, life comes with obstacles, but there's always a way. He mentioned the book, The Obstacle is the Way, The Timeless Art of Turning Trials into Triumph by Ryan Holiday, which inspired me to title this episode, The Obstacle is the Way. If you haven't had a chance to read this book, I highly recommend it. The book is divided into three essential concepts based on Stoic philosophy. In the year 170, the emperor of the Roman Empire, Marcus Aurelius, the most powerful man in the world at that point, wrote, quote, The impediment to action advances actions. What stands in the way becomes the way, unquote. Essentially, he's saying that every obstacle presents an opportunity for growth. And that is what the obstacle is the way it's based on. Accepting challenging situations will make you better than if you'd never faced the adversity at all. Think about some of the biggest challenge that you've ever accepted. Maybe you had the desired outcome or perhaps an undesired outcome happened. Regardless, an incredible opportunity for growth presents itself. Were you able to recognize it? Every obstacle offers an opportunity to practice patience, courage, humility, resourcefulness, creativity, and so forth. The first concept is perception. Here's what Ryan Holiday wrote in the book. Quote, perception is how we see and understand what occurs around us and what we decide those events will mean. Our perceptions can be a source of strength or of great weakness. While others are excited or afraid, we will remain calm and imperturbable, unquote. Have you ever heard of the saying, turning a negative into a positive? How many times have you done that in your life? Think about a situation that was an undesired outcome for you, and you're able to turn that obstacle into an opportunity to grow from the experience. He mentions that to start the process of turning trials into triumph, you must have an objective judgment. When you look into your specific problem, what is your perception of the issue? What is your interpretation? Your response will be a great source of strength or great weakness. Let me share a personal story with you. On April 13, 2018, 
I was training my academy, Jiri Jiu-Jitsu, in Tempe, Arizona, getting ready for the Abu Dhabi World Pro Championship, which was taking place in the UAE on April 27th. When an undesired outcome happened, two weeks before the tournament, we were doing single leg takedown-specific training. For those who are not familiar with this training, Basically, you defend a single leg takedown and try to break away while your partner attempts to finish the takedown for about a minute. And then time's up, switch positions, and you go again, and you can make as many rounds as you want. During my last round, I got taken down, bounced back up, and my partner shot a double leg at me. And I was kind of sideways, so as soon as he took me down, I ended up hurting my foot. And as I was going down, I turned my body like, ah, and I ended up posting my right arm. And I dislocated my elbow bad. I had major elbow surgery on my left elbow two years before this incident because of a dislocation. If you have injured yourself in jiu-jitsu or any other sport, you know how much it sucks, man. And I couldn't move. They called the ambulance. They cut my gi off, gave me morphine. I don't even remember leaving the academy. And I woke up in the hospital with my arm back in place. How would you have interpreted this undesired outcome? I was disappointed not only because it was two weeks away from the event, but mainly because I had a similar injury not too long ago before that, and I knew I would have to be out for a while. I had to make an objective judgment. Remember what Ryan Holiday said? Perception is how we see and understand what occurs around us, and what we decide those events will mean. As soon as I left the hospital on my way to my home, I reflected, you know what? This is the fact. I got injured, and the fact cannot be changed. Only my response to the fact can be changed. I won't be able to compete. I won't be able to train for a long time. What should I do with my extra time? I told my wife, Chris, on the drive back, I've been thinking about starting a podcast for a long time, and this is the perfect time to do it. She said, do it. Now, that is when the second concept of the book kicks in. Action. In the book, he says, quote, Action is commonplace, right action is not. As a discipline, it's not any kind of action that will do, but directed action. With persistence and flexibility, we will act in the best interest of our goals. We must be sure to act with deliberation, boldness, and persistence, unquote. I decided to act. I Google how to start a podcast. I found a course and signed up for it. Finally, the third concept kicked in, will. Here's what Ryan Holiday says in the book. Quote, will is our internal power, which can never be affected by the outside world. It's our final trump card. Too often people think that will is how bad we want something. In actuality, the will has a lot more to do with surrender than with strength. True will is quiet humility, resilience, and flexibility. Unquote. In less than 30 days, I had three interviews recorded and ready to launch during the week of the 2018 IBJJF Adult Worlds, which was in May of 2018. Now, in September 2019, 67 interviews later, without skipping a weekend, I keep doing my best to inspire and impact in or improve your life in some way through our guests' journeys. Now, here's the deal. I'm not trying to impress you with my story. It's just to convey to you that when life throws an obstacle in front of you, you should think about the three ideas from the book. Analyze the situation with objective judgment, accepting that the fact cannot be changed. Only a response to the fact can be changed. 
then take directed action and persevere no matter what and the obstacle will become the way. Os. We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com. 